Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. And one of the things we talk about is if we don't give effort, if we're not recognized for effort at University of Oklahoma, then I'm a con man and they're a fraud. All right, guys, welcome to the Oklahoma Breakdown Podcast, brought to you guys by SB Nation's Crimson and Cream Machine. I'm your host, Tommy Amrabian, joined by Jack Shields and one of my bestest friends in the world, Brady Trantham from 107.7 The Franchise. How's life, Brady? It's um, it's awful. It's the uh, There's <laughs> nothing to be fun. There's no, no fun. I think that's one of the new CDC guidelines, right? Like no smiling, no, yeah. no laughter. So let's, uh, let's break all those rules tonight, but yeah. while we're staying home. How about you, Jack? How's quarantine going for you? I'm eating a lot. I'm drinking a lot. Um, watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I'm uh, making the best of it. The Marvelous Mrs. what? Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Get with the program, dude. I've never heard of it. Why it's amazing. She... It's Why... it's on uh, Amazon Prime. Why is okay. she marvelous? Uh, she's because she's a very good stand-up comedian. Oh, okay. I thought like might be like a she's married. Ba- basically, thing. she's a housewife who like gets bored and goes out and uh, starts doing stand-up at clubs and becomes famous. It's good. Oh, as as one does, yeah. <laughs> but anyways guys hey for those listening we have a pretty good s- slate for you guys really trip down memory lane again for your sooner series uh got some sooner magic some tough bedlam game in 2000 which is really easily forgettable to be honest and then a rematch with the kansas state wildcats and then along with a lot of your questions and stuff that happened today and yesterday so we're going to begin with oklahoma they really run through every team they had played in 2000 at this point. Uh, Bob Stoops at the helm, Mangino as his offensive coordinator, Venables and Mike Stoops as his co-defensive coordinators. They're playing Texas A&M Aggies at Kyle Field against a quarterback that is 25 years old. I also hate the Aggies a lot. Like what? They're just they're just so weird and cultish and they make me feel uncomfortable and everything they do. And really the only thing that they're missing from their white uniforms, uh, the yell guys is a, a little accessory that goes on the head. Well, really it's um, at some point you, you get out or you grow out of like playing army men. Like when I was a kid, like me and my, me and my friends, we'd put on like camouflage stuff and 
play with our toy guns, pretend like we were soldiers and all that stuff. But then I turned six years old, turned seven years old, realized, okay, well, it's not fun anymore. I'm going to go play sports. But Texas A&M students and fans, they're just like, no, we're really a military and we're going to stab you with, with our sabers, with our pointed guys, edge weapons. Do you guys remember, I think it was from, um, which one was it? Uh, the 30 for 30 with SMU. Pony Express. Mm-hmm. It was excess. Uh, yeah, yeah, whichever. Pony yeah, Pony Excess. There was footage of some one of the core members literally ripping out his sword. Yeah, he brandished a sword. Like, in yeah, public. he brandished a weapon. It, it looked like he was about to start fencing. Yeah, and, and it, I mean, it, I mean, this is how serious these people take it. Yeah, and he looked like a. It, he looked it's like wild. A, he looked like a Gestapo officer with his little sword. I bet he felt so <laughs> proud of himself. And then, like the, the person just pushed him over like it was no big deal, and he was all you know disheveled about it, of course. But Aggies are going to. Because I guess you're not you're not allowed to step on the field. I think. Hey, this brings me to this point. After this game, uh, a bunch of like I guess family members came on the field, and you're like not allowed to come on their field after a game. It's like sacred ground or whatever the fuck. <laughs> and Rocky Kalmus's parents came on the field after the game. I remember hearing this. And one of the core people started giving shit to Rocky Kalmus's mom, and Rocky Kalmus got him by like the scruff of his neck, and was like about to <laughs> yeah. beat his ass. There's no train Norwoods around here. Yeah, <laughs> this field is sacred ground. Three people beat us here every season, at yeah, least for real. Oh, but man, it was actually this was the this was the most intriguing game when I was rewatching these few that uh, that uh, you know it was actually. It wasn't even really back and forth. Oh, you just got punched in the mouth early, and then Josh Heupel threw two interceptions. Uh, they had a they had a blocked punt, and so he was actually losing seventeen to ten by halftime. And that was the first time the, during the year that they had gone into halftime losing. And then Oh, was actually down twenty four to thirteen, heading into the fourth. And then something that was big that they kind of mentioned in this game, but they would actually mention way more later on in the season is that Josh Heupel, maybe during the games before this, he had an elbow issue, it was a bursa sack issue, basically tendonitis in his elbow. And so like his throws, if you look at his throws from 99 and early 2000, they weren't crisp like a Baker Mayfield. They weren't crisp like a Kyler Murray that you saw, not this past year, but the last uh, four years. They were kind of lame ducks sometimes. And, you know, especially with that bursa sack issue in his elbow, they looked really bad. They were wobbly flying ducks and um so like a lot of his throws were errant passes and they are kind of he just had a lame arm so along with the running attack that just wasn't there like and you, you see that in all three of these games their running attack was bad and you makes you wonder how they got a running touchdown in the national title um but you know you have hypo with a bad issue throwing errant passes uh it's pretty awful but what i want to talk about is why does a&m always have a fat running back yeah, Dude. they had the, they had that thing going for like a good ten years. Like they uh, always had that fat running back. They they had this Jamar Toombs guy that like is he was a badass a, a lineman, and then you had not long later, I think it's two thousand six, two thousand five, Javorski Lane, who's even fatter than Jamar Toombs. Yeah, you remember that game where Anon went down to Miami to play the Hurricanes, and like I I think Javorski Lane fumbled or something. And then the camera caught him on the sideline and like the water boys, like just simply handing him a, a thing, a, a, a 
oh yeah, like a bottle of water, and he just like sh- slaps it out of his hand. Do you remember that? That was like yeah. that was like early yeah. Twitter was like, oh, what's this bitch doing? <laughs> yep. He had oh, a man, early Twitter's great long pattern of attitude issues. I think it was his senior year in high school. He was being interviewed by some. Houston local television station, and he was quoted as saying, "The J train blocks for no one." I mean, he's he's an odd dude. I mean, so I mean, and that's basically just continued throughout his career. And now that I think about it, I never saw him as a lead blocker when he was at A and M, despite being two hundred and eighty pounds. But you know, whatever. I guess Mike Sherman uh, took him at his word on the J train blocks for no one stuff, but. Jamar uh, Toombs, another person. He was a badass, though. In this game, he just killed oh, yeah. his defense up the he middle. Like, yeah, he was probably like 260 during this game. He was enormous. But he showed up at the NFL Combine a few months later wearing about 300 pounds, and that was the end of Jamar Toombs. But uh, that one run he had late in the game where they went up, I think it was 24-13. Mm-hmm. I broke a door in my parents' house, slamming it when that happened and that door is still broken it doesn't shut properly wow. so that is my memory the how old was two yeah how old was jack in 2000 i was 11 he had, very, he had a very mean streak and when you were 11 well, years yeah, old yeah i mean i i didn't really know how to handle you know i mean That's obviously true. i had handled like 90s ou football losing but I had never had hope for OU football before up until like 99. So I didn't really handle losses very well. And I thought that was about that's fair. No, that, that run was funny because you could just tell like OU's defenders are just clearly trying to strip the ball and they don't Mm -hmm. care to take, to try and take him down there. It's like, just strip the fricking ball. Very similar to Adrian Peterson's run against Tulsa in 2005. Very similar actually. Cause that was basically them just trying to strip the ball. And What's pretty unique is that, of course, we have to stop and talk about Torrance Marshall because OU's down the entire game, and it seems like you know A&M has a chance to actually put this game away on this final drive or one of this you know the last seven minutes. They have a chance to put this game away, and their quarterback, who, his name escapes me at the minute, um, but Ferris. he throws. That's right. Uh, Scott, he, Ferris, Scott Ferris is that was, was that his name? I, he, he seems like a Scott, I, but I don't remember. Mike or Scott anyway. Ferris, one of the two. Let's go but, with Scott. But um, he throws over the middle, and Torrance Marshall gotten burned by that play a few times during the game, and he ends up uh, dropping back into coverage and seeing it, picking it off, and I thought he stepped out of bounds watching it. Well, as there a were kid, a couple but clips on that play too. Even just like rewatching it, a bad one. Yeah. Like just rewatching it, like it's it even looks like there's no way he stayed in bounds, right? Because the, the the amount of cameras in 2000 and the quality of cameras in 2000 are not like what we have in 2020. So it's like, did he step out of bounds? But he just tiptoed the sideline and gets in the end zone, and it's just like this the sense of elation and this idea of sooner magic is back within this game. And so I'm, we're gonna come back to that, but not many people remember when you're remembering this game. Anum had a chance to win. Not once, but twice. And they had a chance. They were first and goal. And they did not use Jamar Toombs once, who was killing OU in these goal line packages. That just unbelievably, like, just hits me in the face. Like, wow, I, I totally forgot that AM actually had a chance to take the lead twice. And they were first and goal against OU. But what was your guys' thoughts on 
Torrance Marshall picking the ball off, running, navigating up the middle of the field to the sideline, and then getting in a score of, you know, really take the lead. Go ahead, Jack. I'm the guest. Uh, well, about taking the lead, I mean, we pretty much just covered it. I mean, we talked about the run and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you know, Kamiar just described all of our emotions. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, welcome I, to the Kamiar show. I, I talked about the clip. You talked about stepping out of bounds. I will say it's the best, uh, it's my favorite play in OU history. There, wow. So there's that. I, I like it more it, than the Superman. Honestly. It was probably just because the, it, there was a national championship on the line there. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely probably the most meaningful play of that season, you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, like if you think about 2001, you're going to think about the Superman play. If you think about, you know, 2008, the Sam Bradford offense, you're probably going to think of the Manuel Johnson one-handed catch. So that definitely was the the iconic play of that season. And we all know how it ended up. So it makes it even that much more iconic because of what it resulted in. But um, really with that play, it's so... It, like you already talked about it, Kamiar, with the uh, cameras, and it's so odd that we we used to watch games with that quality of like definition, standard definition, God, and we thought it was actually good, and we thought it was good, and we didn't know any better, so it was good to us. But um, because especially like our our parents, our grandparents would watch stuff on in black and white or yeah, on the just radio. in in, in worse <laughs> quality, or like listening to games on the radio is actually kind of fun. But the yeah. other thing with that play, my God, like those shoulder pads. Just <laughs> the, the, the equipment that these players used to wear in the late '90s, early 2000s—it makes them look slow. Yeah, like we we all like just laud Kenneth Murray for that game against Texas this past season, where he's like the, one of the best player, probably the best player on the field next to Ceedee Lamb, and he's just busting ass sideline to sideline, just sniffing out plays and getting tackles. And we his his speed and his athleticism is in full display. But then you look at a side-by-side between Kenneth Murray and Torrance Marshall, it's like, well, they're probably equally as big mm-hmm. relatively to their opponents and to their team um, as each other is. But the shoulder pads just make Torrance look slow. And when he's running, he's running stiff. Whereas Kenneth Murray is wearing like wide receiver shoulder pads. <laughs> and it's just it's just funny. Like the the jerseys look kind of like baggy and more like darker, like not darker red, but lighter red than they mm-hmm. became as the 2000s wore along. Um, but yeah, the, I guess real time. The only thing I remember about that play was like, I was, I was 10 years old. So I was, I was starting to get into OU football. I had been into OU football for about a year. Um, I, I watched a bunch of games in 99. I started watching every game in 2000, but I'm 10 years old and I don't want to sit still for like three and a half hours watching a game. So I'm kind of like, half paying attention and then my dad just erupts and screams and is just jumping all over the living room and then that's kind of one of those plays I keep thinking back on is like oh, okay that's that's where that comes from <laughs> and then one of the funniest things about it is just that's of course like you guys said it's like an iconic memory it's it's from the season you know it's it encapsulates the season as far as sooner magic just like you guys would say 2001 what's the play you remember you're not going to remember any offensive plays because the offense was atrocious in 2001. You're going to remember the defense. And of course it's got to be that Superman play. So just something that really sparks everything. And then, but again, just like AM had a chance to win that twice and they didn't use Jamar Toombs at all. And then Ante Jones, after they stopped on the goal line stand, Ante Jones 
was getting just like yelled at in his grill by Mike Stoops, and they were just like about to go at each other. Like Ante Jones and the Mike Stoops were yelling brothers. at each other. Yeah, wasn't on the sideline, and Calmus had to break it up. Like they had to get in between them because they were in each other's faces. Wasn't there a point in this game where Bob just rips into the asshole of an official for like two minutes, and that they? Mm-hmm. I think they like stopped the game because Bob just. And I, like, first of all, I'm like, I've never seen this happen where like a play is about to get snapped and the refs just stop play to go like ca- calm a coach down. Because I'm like, isn't that a penalty? But they just let yeah. Bob just scream at him for like two minutes. I was like, I've never I think seen he was this like before. breaking the huddle with 12 men and Bob lost his shit. Oh, yeah, because he was claiming uh, which, you know, it eventually bit A&M in the ass in 2006 when they had 12 men on the field. You know, 12 men. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> That old. That I can't old wait to talk about that game. By the way, that was that was one I was there in person for. That was stay, a fun one. Stay tuned, listeners, for the uh, podcast in the fall when there's no podcast. We'll be y'all be diving into the 0506 season like throwback yeah. machine. <laughs> we are we are we are ready for it. But yeah, Sooners win this one, 35-31, and really is just a testament to staying true to all those guys coming back in the summer when they were actually. Uh, not mandatory. I mean, they're voluntary summer workouts still today, but they weren't, you know, like vol- as mandatory as they are today. Today, they're they're voluntary, but you better be there or you will not be playing. Um, and then this summer for the that summer for the Sooners in 2000, everybody came back for 2000 to, for early training camp and they all got their work in. So really showed up there. And then the next one, Bedlam, OU and Stillwater, OSU's three and seven. Their coach, it's his last game. They suck. Also, Poe guys, their quarterback. And really, just from the get-go, it looked like this Sooners team either was uninspired, OSU was playing inspired, uh, OU underestimated them, Josh Heupel sucked. I don't know. There's, there's a combination of a lot of things. What are your guys' just like initial thoughts on this game? There's not much to talk about. It's the most boring of these three, but really could create a heart attack for you know, this could be that one inexplicable loss that OU's always definitely experiencing during their seasons. It was before the we first... dig into it, I was I was thinking about this right before we started talking. I was thinking about the worst Bedlam wins in OU history for OU, and I'm going back and forth between this game and the 2018 win. Which mm-hmm. one do you think is the worst Bedlam win or most annoying Bedlam win? The 2018. 28- the 2018 one is bad because um, that OSU team was pretty pretty bad, and we and all there knew was that no de- defense being played, and it the, was you know yeah. I was pulling my hair out. And the the final play where Mike Gunny goes for two, and like I applaud the call, you know, like even even though it benefited OU because they didn't get it, but I'm like you're on the road, you go for two in that situation. So shout out to Mike Gundy, but um, Trey Brown didn't even do anything on that play. It was just a bad throw. Yeah, it was overthrown. It was Horrible. overthrown, and so I would either say that or the overtime win, where Brennan Clay like uh, scored the winning touchdown, the 2012 game. Just so. because, just because I hate the 2012 team. 2011, 2012 <laughs> are like my least. 2011, think, 2012, and 2014 are my least favorite yeah, OU I think, teams of all I time. That's when that, really that, yeah, that, that period chaos. of time between 2011 and 2014 are really just things you try to block out in your mind. You get beat by Baylor. You know, they're scoring in the 40s, and OU barely has, you know, 15 points in both those seasons. So, like, those are things you try to block out. I think that anytime you end the season with a national title, you're going to be happy with it. So, I'm satisfied with the 2000 Bedlam win 
in relation to the 2018 one where they're playing like a backup quarterback or a guy that shouldn't be starting clearly and just didn't work out uh, for them in the end, uh, especially in Norman. So yeah, definitely. I would definitely say that 2018 game. I think, I think with 2000 Bedlam though, I think it was just, it was the culmination of the offense starting to fall apart because mm-hmm. Josh Heupel's arm was like you said, like he, he had, was bad. He, he had an elbow injury, but you, you put that on top of the fact that he doesn't really have a strong arm in the first place when he's healthy. Like, Going back and watching Josh Heupel highlights, like he, he's the type of guy that will like use his entire body to like catapult the ball forward yep. to, when he's throwing it deep. Um, he's accurate. He's a savvy quarterback. He was the right guy for the time, and he's still you know even though we've had Baker, Kyler, um, Sam Bradford, Jason White, all these names, all these great names, he's still up there. He's still in that conversation as one of the better quarterbacks to ever play at OU, but. The fact of the matter is, is he just wasn't that talented in terms of his arm strength and his accuracy. He was a game manager. Yeah, he was a game manager, especially towards the end of the year. But the defense was so damn good that it almost didn't matter. And then the 2000 offensive line and especially the 01 offensive line, they just weren't the athleticism and the strength just wasn't there as it like until like Stoops and uh, Kevin Wilson especially came uh, came to town, started calling a, a offensive line coach in 02 uh mangino just once their system got in place they became more balanced as a team but 2000 like 99 through 01 the running game just wasn't there and that's why q had so many catches instead of just rush attempts shovel pass yeah um but you know with the osu game i think it was just mainly i think it was just mainly osu was playing inspired they were in a perfect position of well our season's been over for like six like six weeks, but let's go spoil our arrival. So you have yep. that final game for Bob Simmons, uh, their head coach. And then, oh, you just kind of, we've got a hurt quarterback. Let's not, let's just go ultra conservative and just let our defense win this game. That's, what, that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And I thought it was really cool to see. It was also Pogai who eventually went to go play for UCO. <laughs> he eventually transferred to UCO during like his senior year, which I thought was really um, odd. Is he from Lawton? I think so. He was, And we got to see freshman Tatum Bell and freshman Rashawn Woods in that game, and they were the ones making all the plays down the stretch of this game to put OSU in position to win the game. And it's, you know, it's 12-7, which is an odd score. OU, you know, they had a touchdown, a field goal, and in a safety. And OSU had scored in second half, and then they said, oh, I got a good idea. Let's send also Pogai back out. Who is not? Who is like all of his passes have been luck. Like they've been really bad, badly thrown passes into coverage, but seemingly squeezed in there. We're gonna send him on a fade route against Derek Strait. And honestly, if it was any other quarterback except also Poga at this time that had an arm, he just throws it a little bit more deep or more depth into the back of the end zone. This is well, an inexplicable loss. Basically, that's loss. what happened with Josh Fields the next year against yeah. the same guy, Derek Strait. I mean, and he then, threw a good ball, and it was complete. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, he threw – he also, Pogai underthrew it the year before, and Derek yep. Strait was able to bat it away. That's essentially well, what Rashawn, it came down to. Rashawn also pushed off on Roy Williams in 2001, like, quite clearly. They don't call push-offs. When it's they pretty call... when it's pretty obvious, they will, but they didn't – Roy there. Williams was of the caliber that he deserved to get the call in that scenario, too. Yeah, I mean, he, was... he was college football royalty by that point. I think you call the push off today. I think in the early 2000s, everybody's still focused on like the ground and pound, and they didn't know what the spread was to where 
they're like, oh yeah, that's, they're just physical football instead of like, hey, that's not allowed. I think it's more likely. But yeah, Derek Straight it's a, it's a, it's a gets underneath it. Pierce Derek Straight gets you. underneath the pass. But like you guys said, Rashawn Woods, the very next year in Norman, mind you, uh, dashes the hopes of the Sooners to possibly go to a fancy bowl game and not a cotton bowl where it's not, rainy and not, miserable. Not going against, to the cold ass cotton bowl. To yeah, play against the Razorbacks to win I, like seven or ten to three. I don't want to get too far off topic, guys. Uh, but I was actually just thinking about this earlier today because I'm working on something for the franchise, and I was watching the '99 Colorado game. And I was just kind of sitting there watching with my dad going like Colorado should still be somewhat good at football. Like it's a beautiful town. You should be able to recruit there and you have home. You have a great home field advantage playing at elevation. They should be better. And then yeah. I tried to remember like, okay, Colorado was good in 99. They fell off in 2000. They were good in 2001, pretty good in 2002. And mm-hmm. then they really fell off the face of the earth forever. But I was trying to think like if OU just had simply either beaten Nebraska in 2001 or beat no issue like they're in the big 12 championship would they have beaten colorado that year just because like the the, uh, offense, the offense was so bad it's a good question horrible. and part of it also was that mark mangino was so conservative with his play calling that year the next year chuck long took over and finally opened it up down the field and stuff like that but it was really tough to watch in 01 and it really hurt uh, nate hibble's confidence as well but um Man, that Colorado team was pretty cold. I mean, yeah, Jeff- uh, that backfield. I mean, I, I have no doubt that 2001 defense for OU was one of the best, if not the best I've ever seen. And I think they could have locked them up a little bit. But, man, Colorado's defense was pretty good. So, I it's tough to say. It was it was in Dallas. It was at uh, – it was in Irving. At, I, I thought uh, it was in – I thought Texas it was in the stadium. Al- I thought it was in the Alamo. No, Alamo. no, that one was in Irving. Oh, okay. But um, yeah, with the home field advantage that OU would have had, because Colorado would not have brought a ton of people to that if OU was involved. But uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I I would pick OU, but it would be like a 17 to 14 win or something like that. I think it ended Gosh. up being for the best though, because if OU does get the Big Twelve title and beat Colorado. They just fucked got, by Miami. They would have got just destroyed by Miami. I don't think any of the fans from the '80s that saw them lose to Miami three years in a row could handle mm-hmm. it. I could. Yeah, gosh, would be terrible. Do you guys? I guess we can. We can. We can talk about it now. We can talk a little bit more next week. Do you guys think OU beats Miami in 2000 if the Canes don't get shafted at the end? Just yes. I watched. I watched so many. Uh, the, See, ESPN documentary. The, the Miami 30s. people, they will to the day they die. Always say yes. Say, oh, yeah. we were on fire at that point. We were so cold. We would have, uh, we would have whooped OU's ass. We were so much more talented than them. Here's the thing: Florida State was equally talented. It took a missed field goal in the Orange Bowl for Miami to beat Florida State. That Florida State team was basically athletes plucked from the same area as Miami basically of the same caliber as Miami's players. They were about on an equal playing field. And OU was just sort of the outlier to the argument about recruiting, essentially. The the one outlier of the 21st century, essentially. The only one that didn't, I guess, average a top 10 class over the four-year period or whatever. I think it was OU and Auburn. And Auburn had Cam Newton, so that's sort of another outlier. But, yeah, yeah I, I mean, I – 
I don't see any reason why OU would not have beaten that Miami team. Yeah, it was it was OU's year. It was OU's year. That's I mean, you can just be simple and say it like that. But also, like if you're gonna sit there and say like, oh, we were the more talented team, we would have beaten Oklahoma. Well, OU beat a lot of teams that year that were probably more talented than them. Texas was more talented than Oklahoma. Kansas State, you can make an argument, was more talented than Oklahoma. Nebraska Nebraska was more talented than Oklahoma. They beat Kansas State again. You could even probably make an argument. absolutely had higher ranked recruits than Oklahoma at that point. That was at the tail end of R.C. Slocum's career. And R.C. Slocum, I mean, this is why A&M sucks, and this is why they're Aggie. They ran him out of town, and basically all he did was win about nine or ten games a year. A&M would have killed the rest of the 2000s and into the 2010s to have won nine or ten games consistently. Yep. That's interesting. Really interesting. And, like, me and Jack talked about this last week. This OU team had a lot of okay preps on the on the roster. You know, <laughs> sign, them, sign all those okay preps. You know, you get a national title. That's how it works, right? Do you guys have a YouTube channel I should subscribe to now? Yeah, we should, we should <laughs> scream on it. Just scream a lot. By the way, another thing with this Miami team, if you want to be in the position to play Oklahoma and prove yourself, don't get destroyed by Washington early in the year. Washington deserved to be in that national championship game more than Miami did. Washington had one loss, too, and they destroyed Miami. Was that Marcus Tuliasopo? Yep. Sure was. Mm -hmm. I love that name. Rick Neuheisel is coach. Oh, wow. Yeah, Neuheisel. Yeah, don't lose to Washington, bro. In in yeah. Miami, for real. I think it was in Seattle, actually. Oh, it was in Seattle, was it but in Seattle? still, it was a lopsided Washington win. Interesting. Well, OU wins twelve to seven in Bedlam, which is a very forgettable game because everybody remembers A and M. They remember that maybe the conference championship game right before the national title game. Well, let's dig into this rematch with the Wildcats, number eight. Um, it's of course always tough to beat a good team twice, especially when we talk about, we just talked about like Kansas state, they were much better than OU in 99 and they, Bill Snyder had risen that program from the depths of hell, literally nothing. And they were, they were really close at a national title the year before. And they were ranked three in the regular season when they put them in Manhattan, had a chance to, you know, take the lead against the Sooners. So the cats, very talented team. Um, and you know, they got ahead again, and Kansas State, they scored 10 unanswered points, 10 to 3, and seemed to have a lot of momentum. And then special teams. Special teams played such a big role in this game, whether Remember it's that, Josh kids. Norman, Josh Norman blocking punts. Josh Norman is a name that comes up big in several of these big games. And then another damn locket punt return for a touchdown. Huge the game Lockett from those family guys. has haunted OU for decades. <laughs> if there's another locket that comes through, you better offer him. I think is, I think Tyler was the last there's one. There's a locket curse. Tyler was the last one. And they all go to Booker T. Washington, and none of them go to OU. Let's, let's hope. Let's hope Tyler only has girls. Gosh, <laughs> the line yeah. the line must be broken. Yeah, they all go to Booker T. and still can't get those okay preps. If you know what I mean. But Thanks it's again, just like, John Blake. It's just crazy to think about that. You know, the, really the big thing in this game was special teams lock it for a touchdown. Josh Norman blocks a punt. You know, it comes down to a Duncan field goal to really seal the game. And Bob Stoops says he almost doesn't do it. But what are your guys' overall impressions of this game? Because the first game, it was OU running away until like some fluky bull crap at the end of the game. 
And this game was really tight the entire way. It was back and forth. Yeah, it really? was it was an odd game. And one thing I remember is it was the quite possibly the coldest OU game I have ever attended in my entire life. It was like 15 degrees in this game. I'm surprised that uh, Josh Heupel's elbow held up in that kind of temperature. I mean, it was it was really bad. Another thing I remember after the game, we we're driving away, and we my dad thinks, "Hey, it'll be kind of funny to listen to Kansas State's radio crew after this game." They are times. bitching up a fit like you have never heard in your entire life. One guy is on there screaming bloody murder about how Trent Smith was being like shot up in the locker room or something like that, how he had seen him in the tunnel or something like that. Quite possible. Just screaming that Oklahoma was cheating and shit. Like it was just, it was absurd. I mean, the salt was palpable. I mean, it was crazy. And one more thing I remember someone, you know, towards the end of the game, people are throwing oranges and stuff like that. The, uh, mm-hmm. Under the second deck at Arrowhead Stadium, they have TVs where you can see the game because there's obstructed seating under there. And a few people, I think three in a row, were basically shot out by oranges. People trying to throw their oranges onto the field from like probably 100 feet as if they had that kind of arm. But anyway, they gave it their all and they knocked out the TVs. Like four in a row, I saw TVs that had been like knocked out by oranges. (laughs) Love it. That's fantastic. Uh, Good old days. Now, like, um, I actually rewatched this game uh, a month or so ago. Just I don't know why. I just for whatever reason, I was like, I'm gonna watch the 2000 Big 12 Championship game. And the first thing that comes to like that I'm thinking when I'm watching it is Kansas State's defense, especially their linebackers, used to be so freaking fast. It was oh yeah, it, Ben Lieber. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, and especially and especially the way like Snyder's defense, like they were just so aggressive. They they were. They were just that type of defense that I always dream OU, uh, of OU having like over the last few years of just like, you know what, if you're going to get beat over the top one play, so be it. But make sure that they think twice about even trying to drop their quarterback back in the pocket for three to five seconds because you know that there's going to be a linebacker coming at you from the blind side. They they and, were regular, regularly sending nine guys. I mean, mm-hmm. that was the case in two, both 2000 games and the 2001 game. It was Hyper a with a bum arm, why wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah exactly. And, you know, I kind of, I guess I kind of trashed the 2000 offensive line, but they weren't very good run blocking, but they were really good at protecting Josh mm-hmm. Heupel. They, they, that was a growing process. 99 towards the end of that year. Um, I felt, felt like Josh got sacked. Like every other player got hit every other play. 2000, they did a much better job of cleaning up the pocket for Josh. But um, I mean, this game was just the, the thing that I always remember about 2000 is Kansas state. I think they, they obviously lost to OU twice. They beat Nebraska. I think they lost to A&M also that year. So they had three losses going into that, um, going into bowl season. Did they win their bowl game or did they lose? They, they beat won. the shit out of Tennessee in the Cotton Bowl. Yeah. yeah. And they made re- the Big 12 look really good. Yeah, and, and I remember thinking, like, you know, Kansas State might be the second or third best team in the country, and they have three losses, and two of them are against OU. They have a fluky loss against A&M. Uh, but like that defense was legit. And when they're, uh, it was it L Roberson. Was that their quarterback? No, not yet. It was, he goes Bagley still at that point. It was Beasley. Beasley, oh, Beasley. Yeah. Okay. So Beasley when he's on God, they're good. They were so good. And oh, you beat them. Twice. They were very multiple offensively too. They were running shotgun stop st- 
stuff. They were running a trip, triple option stuff uh, behind mm-hmm. uh, under center. I mean, they were for that era. You don't see teams that were very sweeps, in man. Schemes. You saw a lot <laughs> of stuff from that offense at that point. It was pretty, and they were loaded offensively too. I mean, that receiver you had a uh, Aaron Lockett, you had Quincy Morgan, who was really good. They had a really good backfield. I think Josh Scobie was a freshman at that point. Um, they had another guy, 34, I forgot his name, but they were really good at the skill positions and they were really good schematically. But And like you talked about, Brady, their defense was just full of really fast and ferocious guys. John McGraw was one guy who stood out. He was the ultimate, like, hashtag grit white guy for back then in that era. Yep. Like, he was he was all over the place. But he brought his definitely, lunch mail. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> All the white guy things we can say about safeties. It's fantastic. No, he, not, McGraw okay. had a he had a cup of coffee in the NFL, I think. He did, yeah. He was there it, for a little bit. Probably like no. I think he was like I was I was I, I was gonna say like Terrence Newman played in the league for like twenty yeah. years and he like, was on the for like a yeah. long time. Terrence Newman was like kind of a bit player on that team though. I think it was two or three, I think it was Oh two when he won the uh, Thorpe award, but mm-hmm. 2000, he was, uh, he had that block to, he had that return for a touchdown in the first game. I remember, but he, I don't think he was a, I don't know if he was even necessarily a starter on defense. That I think year. I that's think how good he, they were on defense. I think he dropped a pick six in this game early on. Like okay. OU's like deep in their own territory and Josh like flings a little, outlet pass and i think terrence just straight drops it i think so but i could i could be remembering wrong but i mean the other big play that whenever i think about the game is just the fourth and one option pitch to q because it works out perfectly like when you're thinking of, of an option pitch it's always like okay the quarterback gets around the edge and then he's about to get hit. And so right before he yep. gets hit, he just pitches it to a wide open running back. And then he just takes off. And unfortunately for Josh, that happened because dude gets destroyed, but he, he held on to it until the absolute last microsecond, like he had to. And it opened up Q to go uh, like for uh, a 20 or so yard gain, get OU back into the, um, into scoring, into a scoring drive. And then I think, was it the next play? They uh, just hit Andre Wolfolk over the middle. Yep. Andre Wolfolk was so good over the middle as a receiver, but then he, he became was. a first-round defensive back. Yeah, in that in that fourth and one play, you know, that's just that's a big thing you remember. Like, oh, you having guts about that fourth and one play, doing a, an option sweep just to the left side, and the commentators in the game. I don't remember who they were, but they kept on talking about how close to disaster this play really was, with this linebacker crashing down hard and his hand just misses the ball to where it's a fumble and now you are looking at chaos for the Sooners and instead Q gets it and streaks down the sideline gets close to a touchdown and I think he loses his balance and you know of course they score a touchdown and the rest is really just history with you know OU gets down close again Bob Stoops says uh my kicker kind of sucks uh should I punt it should I kick it and they're like yeah we'll let him try a 45 yarder and Duncan actually makes it, and the whole sideline loses their minds. A, probably because he made a field goal, because Duncan was not the most reliable. Um, he had some clutch kicks, but especially in the national title game where he made several of those kicks. But, um, you know, they he's probably surprised that he made it because he, he hadn't been accurate from that far out. But also, you're up 10 with three minutes left. I mean, you're done. And so 
OU wins this game 27 to 24 because Kansas State scored on a fluky touchdown with seven seconds left and they're headed to the national title. It was a pretty crazy feeling. And like, so like as fans or as kids, like what was that moment? Like, and I meant, I, I, and I imagine like many of us were with our parents or our dads or family that were watching games. Like what was that atmosphere like for you guys after OU had just won the big 12 title game, the oranges are raining down on the field and you know, wow, the next stop here is you're going to the orange bowl and you're playing one of the two Florida teams. I have some random thoughts on the end of that game. Like uh, something I'm not going to repeat on here, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was just sort of unprecedented for people our age, though. You know what I mean? Because our it was we always grew up with our parents telling us about how good OU football yeah. was, and we were like, yeah, whatever. I'm waiting for basketball season. I want to watch Eduardo Nahara and Kelvin Sampson's teams. But uh, <laughs> that was, I mean, I, I was an OU basketball fan before I was an OU football fan because of all that. But I mean, honestly, it was we didn't really know how to process it, and I think people like i mean my age and brady's age i mean we were probably a little spoiled at that point yeah honestly i mean from yeah. that point on we were expecting to win a national championship every year from then on out yeah it ruined our parents me. <laughs> had a, yeah it, it ruined me big time i mean it's kind of like us thunder fans experiencing a trip to the finals you know three or four years after getting an nba team i mean thunder fans are going to be perpetually spoiled because of this it's very similar what about yeah, you, Brady? Yeah, it, it was – I mean, I, I do remember, like, OU, like, right after they won the Orange Bowl against Florida State, and I remember just, like, sitting there with my dad watching, like, the trophy presentation, and I had a thought, like, wow, like, OU did it. They're going to do it again next year because they've got all these guys coming back, and then they're going to do it the next year. And then slowly but surely over the next 15, 16, 17 years – I realized that no, that's that's not how it's supposed to go unless you're Bama. Yeah, and I hate saying that. And it's it's just so it's just so weird because I remember going to I, mean, I remember that feeling like oh wow they were gonna they're gonna go by for the national title and I remember like because it had been since 1985 to when they actually won one and there were countdown clocks literally on the news stations like countdown this many days and hours to till the national title game like on news channel five and nine and that was pretty special and then um i went to the ou north carolina game the very next year uh 2001 julius peppers and like the national title was in it was the rose bowl that year and i remember people like showing up with like a crown of roses on like yeah we're gonna win national title number two and that of course fell short with jason white's knee and then 2002, they got close, and A&M and OSU happened in 2003. Uh, they should have won it. And, of course, we don't want to talk about 2004. Jason White getting hurt in 2003 and still yeah, playing. Yeah, that and, too, that too. That. And just so a lot of things go into that. But, yeah, definitely really interesting. OU wins 27-24. A lot of feelings go into that. A lot of just fun, uh, elation for probably like my dad, I bet. Uh, because like they hadn't experienced something like that since Switzer. So, but anyways, we're gonna about to go to a break. Uh, we have Twitter questions for you guys. Some other things regarding Lincoln Riley recruiting, maybe talking about football season or not coming for the coming fall and spring. But we will come back in a minute. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. 
With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. All right, guys, so let's go to some Twitter questions. We have several. Thank you guys to send them out. We have several and some really interesting ones, albeit. Um, OU Champs says, who commits publicly first, Bryce Foster or Caleb Williams? What do you guys think? Or what do you prefer? Well, well, I mean, basically based on what you have told me privately, I would guess Caleb Williams, but who knows? What do you think, Brady? Yeah, um, I, I I really feel like like after Caleb took that last when when did he take his last official visit? Wasn't it like the week before the Thunder Jazz game? I think so. Yeah, so when when all this became our new reality with the quarantine <clears throat> and stuff, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that was basically just the final like yeah like he just needed to come here and see Lincoln face to face, and we all know how this is going to end. So I'll just I'll, Caleb. I think that's the easy answer. Yeah, and I I remember some of the storylines and some of the things that came out of that was, you know, Caleb went to go meet, like you said, face-to-face with Lincoln Riley, uh, Brady, and one of the things that came out of it was he just needed some clarification from Lincoln, which suggests to me that he's actually one set of the eyeball emojis that's actually out there right now. Um, of course, there's one more left, uh, but... Lincoln Riley tonight tweeted out like the what the something three, the the three the something serious yeah, three. The, the serious three, no clue what that means I, right I've, now. I've never heard that phrase. Like I've heard the magnificent seven or the yeah. final four or the elite eight, but I've never serious heard the three. the phrase the serious three. I don't know what that 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 is. Yeah, I don't never heard of it. I, but I think yeah. Le- I think Lincoln just I think he has cabin fever like the rest of us. Yeah. It's true, but I think Caleb Williams definitely is probably the first to commit, and I think that's something that Lincoln Riley, honestly, behind the scenes, wants him to be, uh, because once you get that quarterback, especially that high high profile quarterback, one of the top players in the country, to get on board, everything else really starts to fall into place. Same thing as it did with Spencer Rattler. So that's something that you would want. Uh, Josh Reyes, double O seven, says, "Who got the free Pornhub premium? Did any of you guys get Everyone. the free Pornhub premium?" Everyone in America, I'm pretty sure, and probably internationally. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's free for everyone. It is. It is. Yeah, if you I have mean, an account. I mean, I mean, imagine. Yeah, I would assume if it's free, then everybody is able to have it. You know, hence the hence the word free. Free. He has a couple other questions. He says, "Do you want to fight someone when you get food from the store?" I don't do know guys, what he means by that. Do you want to fight someone when you get fruit from the store? I don't. I don't. I don't know. I don't know, Josh. I mean, that's that's, that's a that's an interesting question you got there. Um, um, I mean, no. But if someone is getting toilet paper and I'm trying to get toilet paper, then I will. I'll fight them to the death. But that that goes without saying. Yeah. Would you fight somebody for the last like big bag of toilet paper if you have none at the house? No. No. Probably not. Yeah, My parents said, worst comes to worst, I'm just hopping in the shower. I mean, whatever. Yeah. 
It's true. The bathtub is usually next to the toilet in many homes yeah. across the United States. Very convenient. And many people right now, I imagine, are installing bidets in their toilets, actually, for that reason. Good old bidet, man. Jeff, (laughs) good old Jeff bidet. Jeff bidet. (laughs) When he he transferred to OU, OU, that was was how my brain pronounced his last name. I was like, his name is Jeff (laughs) bidet. I I think, yeah, Mm -hmm. I was was actually on the franchise on the – I was talking to – the late Jeff Ruffface, R.I.P. Jeff Ruffface, and he was right. saying, "Is his name pronounced Bidet?" And I'm just saying, "No, it's actually Bidet, but I wish it was Bidet." Oh, that'd be great. So, oh well. Now he Gosh. got that. He got that touchdown against Texas. That was cool. He yeah. did. Yeah, he had the touchdown against Texas, and uh, and then was injured. He had the reverse the against OSU, where he injured the cheerleader. Yeah, I think he injured himself too because this man was getting injured every other game. He I fumbled it. True, he, yeah. He fumbled at the shoe. He did. He did. He, oh God, yeah. He was like he was OU's go-to receiver outside of CD Lamb that game because this was well oh. before Hollywood blew up. He blew up like yeah. four or five games later. Yeah, Hollywood didn't even really play in Columbus. Ho- Hollywood right. didn't blow up until that Kansas State game. Yeah, I think he had like three catches for like 140 yards or whatever. And that's Johnson that's screaming when, his name. That's when the Hollywood. Hollywood nickname came about and then of course i guess it was two weeks later he had the osu game where he really burst onto the scene but true so josh has another question should we start boarding up people's houses to ensure we get a 2020 college football season that's a good question it it seriously has nothing to do with it if we stood inside our homes literally for two months like if we could just literally stay inside and not have to eat not have to go outside um, unless a miracle happens. Like it's just going to come back. Like that's not the problem. Now, like I said, I don't know if we were recording at the time, but the hope is by football season, by um, by fall, we won't have such a short amount of tests mm-hmm. all over this country. This is America. I, I don't know why we don't have the most we're America, but oh well, that's a different conversation. But hopefully by fall, we don't have such a short abundance of tests, and then also the healthcare system isn't destroyed by then, sure. uh, because we all do what we're supposed to do in the short term right now. Um, it has nothing to do with any of that. The virus is just still going to be out there, and we're not going to have immunity to it, and we won't have a vaccine for it yet. So it has nothing to do with boarding up for a month or two it's just like that's just the sad fact of the matter but who knows maybe we'll all get herd immunity um, maybe this thing is truly seasonal but even if it's truly seasonal it'll just pop back once it starts getting cold again so that's why it's mm-hmm. just like just push it back to spring because that way you don't have to like have an accelerated version of the season you can just pretend like it's fall but play it in the spring and then we won't have to wait eight months for football to come back because it's like it ends in the summer and then two, three months later, you're right into the 2021 season. So that's Gosh. my crazy, like that would be awesome theory. It's just 2021 is the year of football where it never ended. It would make it, crazy. It, would, it would make missing out on it in this fall that much more worth it. If they could guarantee me that I'd be like, I will accept no football in the fall. That'd be crazy. What do you think, Jack? Should we start boarding at people's houses? I mean, I think Brady pretty much covered it. Boarding yeah. up houses isn't really going to do anything for the fall. The issue is it coming back. So there you go. There's no vaccination. Only we, 
possible ways well, to treat Pitt, it. The University of Pittsburgh has apparently got something cooked well, up. I mean, but... like several people have vaccinations, but exactly, like, there's yeah. no it's official vaccination. It's not going to be approved by the FDA in time. This... It takes a long time for all of that to go through. So This particular treatment, though, I think is the first thing that I've at least read that the report confirmed that they had already tested it successfully on animal tests because that like it's not necessarily it seems to me that you can you can invent and i'm using air quotes you can invent a vaccine fairly easily but what takes the 18 months is just the observational research of does it make you grow a third arm does it what happens inside these people yeah does it give you cancer like that's why it takes so long it's not it's not like they're trying to build or invent something and like we finally did it so this is the first time that i actually saw something that has successfully worked in early animal testing trials. So good. Good job, Pittsburgh. Yeah, so it's fantastic. This next person says, a boss, at a boss 42 any rumors of basketball players transferring, specifically Harmon, Iwakor, and Hill? Any potential they bring in a grad transfer? I have not heard anything since well, basketball I mean, season. Well, for what it's worth, and this obviously isn't going to move the needle, but Corbin Merritt has entered the transfer portal, according to multiple reports. But it's not yeah. like he – he didn't even redshirt last year, and yeah. he still didn't get to – he didn't really get a sniff of the floor. I mean, he was a big guy, and Oklahoma had real issues with front-line depth mm-hmm. and holding their own down low, and he still wasn't able to sniff the court, so – that's probably a, a product of him not being very good. So yeah, I think the go. team's going to be fully together next year, minus Christian Doolittle, who I'm, by the way, podcasting with on Saturday. It's going to be good stuff. Should be fun. But yeah, let's move on to the next one, because yeah, that's, there's nobody transferring. At <laughs> SCO, what's the first, and this was in relation to, uh, what's his name? I'm sorry, I keep on blanking, Diffie. Joe Diffie. Joe, Joe Diffie, Diffie uh, because the original question was name your top three Joe Diffie songs. And I was like, I, I'm sorry. I'm an, I'm an uncultured Oklahoman. I know many country singers because growing up, my mom listened to all of them and I would listen to the CDs in her van and yada, yada. We listened to Garth Brooks and Tim McGraw and Diamond Rio and all those other bands, but I never heard of this guy. And uh, then it turned out, then it turned into this question, which was, what was your first CD that you bought or had? And then what's the first concert you went to? So. What do you guys, what's, what's your first CDs and what's your first concerts? Uh, for um, me, I guess it was first CD. I think it would have been second or third grade, probably second grade. If you don't remember, Hanson was a big deal in Oklahoma and I'm oh, not going yeah. to apologize. 1997, buddy. Hanson, Hanson's middle of nowhere CD was my first CD because they were a very big deal in Oklahoma at that point. Um, first concert was ZZ Top. At oh, the newly shit. opened Ford Center. And the opener wow. was Ted Nugent. And Ted oh, Nugent God. decided that he was going to get a flaming crossbow and shoot a dummy of uh, Saddam Hussein. And he <laughs> shot it like across the stage. There were like people in the background. Dude, I and he fucking love Ted Nugent. This man's insane. With a flaming arrow and it hits the Saddam Hussein doll and it goes up in flames. Wow. And I'm like, is this how every concert is? Like, what the fuck? That's how every Ted Nugent and concert ZZ is. ZZ Top was pretty great after that, but I mean, what I love that about was ZZ quite Top concert. is that the lead guitarists they have massive beards, right? And their drummer, well, the guitarist and the bassist. Well, yeah, they got the but their drummer who does not have a beard. His name is Frank his name Beard. Is beard. 
Yep. So they just ultimately, had a he documentary has come out on Netflix that's actually pretty good. I'd recommend watching it. Incredible. Brady, what about you? What's your first CD you bought, and what's the first concert you went to? So this would have been, this would have been fifth grade, fourth no fourth grade. Oh, you won the national title when I was in fourth grade, and so yeah, maybe fifth grade. And if if anybody gives a fifth grader shit about what music they're listening to, then shame on you. But it was Creed. <laughs> nice. It was uh, Can you take me higher? Was it like? Uh... <laughs> I forgot. I think I actually had that too. Scott I, I'm, Stat, I'm bro. ashamed to admit it. It was a weathered. It was their. It was their yep, laptop. Yep. So like the thing about Creed, like yeah, like they are like early Nickelback, but Mark Tremonti, their guitarist, is he's good, excellent. He is a great guitarist, and people that are into music will acknowledge that. Like yeah, Mark Tremonti is cool. We'll we'll screw with him. Um, first concert was Van Halen in 2007. Wow. Um, at uh. I think, yeah, I guess back then it was still the Ford Center. Yeah, it was Ford Center because it was before who's, the Who's lead singer by that time? That was uh, that was David Lee Roth. Like, okay. that was when uh, they had Wolfgang Van Halen right. playing bass. So, right. uh, trying to think. I think one of Bob, Bob Marley's sons, like, because he has, like, a bunch of kids. I think one of Bob Marley's sons opened. So, that was kind of cool. That's interesting. Well, I, since I had three older sisters... Um, I never re- really had my own music until I got to junior high. Uh, so the first CD I ever bought uh, with my own money, I was like 13, um, was ACDC's Highway to Hell album. So I was like, I got into, I got into uh, rock music with my friends in junior high. And then I was like, oh, I want to get my own music because some people had iPods, but the majority of us still had CD players. So I was like, okay. Uh, I want to try this one out. And then I'm, so I bought Highway to Hell album. And then I was like, oh, I really like this band. And of course, the next album I bought was ACDC's Back in Black. And I was like, wait, what happened? Why is the vocalist different? So I did like a lot of research as a kid, a 13-year-old kid, and found out about Bon Scott and Brian Johnson. is a pretty crazy lifestyle. And then, you know, I, I've literally only been to like two concerts in my life. I've just never been a, really? a person. Yeah, I've just... Have never been to really that many concerts. Not that I have, haven't wanted to, haven't wanted to go to any. I just like don't actively seek out concerts um, or just like look for it. It's, that's just not something I've, I've done. It's not something that's not I haven't wanted to. But so my first concert I ever went to uh, was in the summer, not that long ago actually, a few years back. It was a, a band called Real Politics opened for uh, Paramore and Fallout Boy. And I went to that concert. And where was it? It was the Zoo Amp. Okay. Does anybody know where Fallout the Amphitheater? Does anybody know where Fallout Boy got their name? I do not know, but I liked them for a long time in high school too. Jack, do you know? I do not. Um, Fallout Boy is a comic book uh, that Bart Simpson reads on The Simpsons. Huh. Oh, so there shit. you go. Okay. The more you know. Interesting. But yeah, let's get into some other things. Lincoln Riley last week, we talked about it. He was pissed off about the ACC getting to send their players home equipment uh, to work out for workout regimens and stuff like that to keep them really somewhat in shape, as much shape you can be in while you're quarantining, really. And the Big 12, actually, they countered and said, all right, let's do the same stuff. So they actually sent out 
workout. They're able to send out workout stuff. Of course, they're, they're not able to rent machines and stuff like that, but they're sending them limited workout gear to their players so they can stay somewhat fit, um, somewhat toned until they get back on campus. And uh, the Big 12 actually got it right here, which is really surprising, actually. I just That's- pictured, I just pictured like the Big Twelve sending like antiquated like forties or fifties style like workout. Yeah. you know, like the machine that people <laughs> used to think if, that people people used to think that to lose weight you just simply needed to sweat. So you'd sit in this like suit that would make your body below your below your neck start sweating, and the idea was, oh, I'm going to lose all this weight. You're losing water weight, water cool. weight. But like, I could just see the Big Twelve like, here you go chaps old chaps here's a bunch of good little workout equipment and they're just looking at like the hell is this i think of like them sending ou players and big 12 players dvds or vhs's of richard simmons sweating to like the oldies bowflex dvds or if they just yes. send them like a they just send, or if they just send them, billy blanks yeah yeah they just billy send them like a single machine that you can get for like 200 bucks at a target you know, they could just, you can do lap pull downs. You yeah. can, you know, it's just like you get one little machine that like maxes out to 200 pounds. And it's like, these are D1 football players. Thanks, Big. I player. imagine. So, what, what kind of, what kind of things do you think they're sending them? I imagine they're, they're sending them a shit ton of resistance bands. Um, and that's really it. Uh, because like you can't send a ton of those things through like in the mail. Like you can't send like massive kettlebells or dumbbells in the mail. So, I imagine it's going to be a lot of like resistance bands. I mean, like, hell, I just, I bought my own resistance bands the other day. Like I'm going to have a full fledged gym in my freaking den by the time this thing is over. Well, is there any, what else could they actually send them that would be helpful towards them? Cause resistance bands, you could use those things in a variety of ways. I actually need to learn how to use resistant resistance bands for this reason. Since we don't have gyms, I've never used them, but it seems like, people are like kind of the same you idea that you have Kami are like, I need to mm-hmm. try to learn how to use them myself. But, um, I did order a 35 pound dumbbell, um, curbside Walmart. And I just pictured like the bag boy at Walmart going like, yeah, this is like the new reality of work. I've got to like get all the stuff from the uh, aisles so I can give it to the people driving up here. What the fuck do you need a dumbbell for? It's the apocalypse, you know? So uh, <laughs> fantastic. With yeah, with the players, it's probably just stuff like that. Parachutes, maybe you know. Mm, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, and then probably, you know, like Benny Wiley, like videos of Benny Wiley just screaming at him. Yep. Jack, any any opinions on that one? I have nothing to add on working out. Yeah, just like I don't know what else they could send them. Like I imagine things that are lightweight, things that can test their strength, and things that are tension based. Uh, but I don't think they're going to send them like a 35 pound dumbbell and stuff like that. I think it's just weighs too much in the cost. It's not cost effective. Um, if only they had like a room or if their houses could like, you know, you go to your thermostat and you just change it to 10 times earth's normal gravity, like Goku. It's like, all right, yeah. train, just yeah. train, just do push ups. Hyperbolic time chamber. Yeah. Very yeah. important. Very important here. Lincoln Riley said this last week. Um, that he said it by June 1st, if players were not on campus, that'll say something. And he says, come September, the world's going to need football. And then today, the OU Daily tweeted out, actually not long before we started podcasting, that according to President Harrow's, that OU's campus is shut down through at least July 31st, which brings us to what does that mean? And we talked about this a little bit earlier with Brady, but what does that mean for college football 
in the fall? What does that mean for college football in 2020 season? And then, again, literally seconds before we started podcasting, Brett McMurphy tweets out, a 12-game regular season divided over fall and spring semesters. College football playoff games in May, or they just have a nine-game conference-only regular season. There's no cha- There's no championships. You just name it after the end of the year who are conference champions. This could very well be the immediate future of college football if the season's delayed according to 112 ADs that they had contacted. My gosh. So what do you guys prefer? I, I mean, Brady, you, you mentioned earlier really like – Yeah, Brady mentioned playing it just all in the spring. That just seems like a no-brainer to me. I, I, mean, I, I just mean, feel like you're risking you a ton. Of, I feel like way. you're risking a shit ton of injury. I really do. With that amount, with not that, that's not enough time to recover, uh, to reevaluate, yeah. to bolt guys up. I think. I think. In I don't know. I don't know what that what would if, do. What if you if you wait until spring 2021? Is that yeah. what you're how you'd you'd have more time to prepare? I feel like you would have. I mean, it it depends on what the immediate um, what the immediate impact is on campus. Let's say like this thing, because like we could very well have online school for the fall campus of 2020 and not have yeah. this stuff open till 2021. So that's what I'm thinking. Because like, you know, I'm a teacher. It's so like I'm thinking like, man, it's quite possible that we may not be in the school till 2021. We may have online school till from year 2020 just to social distance. You know, there'll be safer months. There'll be less safe months, yada, yada for flare ups. Um, so I'm thinking on the lines of, you know what, if they're not going to be able to train, because I feel like this thing's only going to get worse until maybe the summer and then have flare ups that they may have less time. And I'm, I'm more thinking of they might, and let's say they may have more time to train. And so they'll be less likely to get injured. But I'm thinking of the layoff between the 2021 supposed season to the 2021, 22 season to where, your guys are just rehabbing for a month and a half. And really then you're going for like training camps. Like what does that look like? What do scholarship numbers look like? What do you, what is it breaking in? Like your new class for recruiting? What does that look like? I mean, it, it, it's all this stuff is on unpre- unprecedented times. It's not going to look like a regular college football season. No crap. Like the world doesn't look like a normal world anymore. Uh, but I just, I don't like playing all those games in the spring. But then again, I really don't like dividing six games here and six games here and college football playoff games in May. I, I, I don't, I don't know. And the more I think about it, honestly, we don't, I, I just think we, we don't have football in 2020 in general. I mean, it's like the logistics of it. Um, and Brady, you again mentioned this earlier. I said, maybe in the college football, what's special about it is the fans. Like you can do NBA without fans and just pumping crowd noise or you want to hear what the players are saying. That's fantastic. Like if Carl Mel, if Carmelo Anthony is saying, get the fuck out of here after every rebound, only imagine what all the players are saying on the floor at all times in college football. The, the fans are a big part of it. And just like you wouldn't want to play a scrimmage. Um, and so also with these college football playoff teams or college football teams in general, you're going to have to have them in controlled environments and testing them regularly so often because, again, like the Rudy Gobert situation, if one guy on one team gets it, you're putting so many people and so many institutions at risk. So I really don't understand. I really don't see a way out for college football in the immediate future, especially coming into the fall. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'd say like, you know the most optimistic view in terms of like, if we can have football in one way or another in this coming fall, 
I think by July, we're going to have a much better picture. Like, because by then, you know, according to like all the research and the uh, predictions, according to the, where it's going by July, we're going to be past the bad part. Now, will it flare back up in the short term? That's what we don't know. But um, on this current trajectory that we're on, we're on July, we're going to be past the, the initial bad part. So that'll be good. So that way, um, optimistically, because you, as you mentioned, oh, you shut down until August 1st, I could foresee some scenario where, yeah, students, the general student population is um, not supposed to be here until August 1st, unless you're an essential student. Right. I could, I could see them drawing like, okay, well, if you're a football player, you know, you need to be here for training because we're going to have a football season. Because the other thing is, because football takes so long to prepare for, it's not like basketball where you can maybe have like a two-week training camp and get back into it. You've got to have contact. You've got to have a steady buildup. They're going to know fairly soon if they're going to be able to even play football um, maybe in the next month and a half or two because they're going to have to make that decision by then. So we're going to know what the plan is pretty quickly, even though football season is still like a long ways away. But you know, with the 2021 thing, like in spring, if that's what they ended up doing, like my little idea, I mean, yeah, that, that would be unfair to the student athlete because they would play their season and then have like two or three months off and then go into the following season. So you'd have guys that, I mean, just think about it this way. If somebody tears their ACL in, in mm-hmm. spring 2021, you don't just sit there and say, that sucks, but we'll get him back next year. You won't have him next year because... Right. You know, eight months later is when the the new season starts and he's still in the middle of his rehab. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's... what do you guys on in this line of thinking, what do you guys think if they for some reason, if they wanted to play this season in the spring, what would you think about the idea of flipping the calendar permanently and just spring being the new normal for college football? I don't want to be an is old, that crazy. I, I, I don't want to be an old, but I just wouldn't like it because yeah. it's it's a fall sport. I associate fall with college football. I understand yeah. the nostalgia yeah, element it, of it. I mean, I love tailgating with the leaves falling. No, yeah, and then the other thing is, you know, Oklahoma, because I think we talked about this before we started recording, but Oklahoma might have to postpone or cancel games if they played football in the spring because of because of tornadoes. Yeah, and for real. Weather, and severe weather. But um, no, because the NBA can get away with this. They they could have like an accelerated season and then like two months off and then go into their new season because Mm -hmm. it's basketball. It's, it's, it's fair. It's in theory easier to prepare for because there's, it's not necessarily a contact sport. Um, but with this, I just, I think the best way you can do this is if you play in the spring, you just don't have non-conference games. You just play your conference schedule and then maybe have like a little blast for the past where, and it would still be unfair, but I've kind of always liked the, um, you know, like the the old ways. So pre-BCS where you'd have your top five, top seven teams playing in the what became the BCS Bowls. Yeah. And everybody would kind of understand according to the polls, okay, this is the number one team going into the bowl game. If they win, they're going to win the national title. But if they mm. get upset by the sixth ranked team in the Sugar Bowl, well, then the number two team playing in the Orange right. Bowl playing the number four team is go that's for the national championship right there. So you could do something like that. I, that would never happen, but basically you just take away the the non-conference games and then maybe you have to scrap playoffs. Maybe you have to just play bowl games or play something and then Mm -hmm. basically vote for your national champion. It's just kind of like, Hey, college football fans, you remember this? 
Yeah. And I could easily see, uh, I could easily see that. Like if you play nine games in the spring and just like the old days where it's like, Hey, what's the AP poll or, Hey, let's look at the BCS algorithm and see, you know, like who in general uh, would have won and who would have been number one here. Like you said, like, um, you know, there have been plenty of times in the past where Alabama and everybody else claiming their 30 national titles, that they weren't even number one in a poll, but they're number one in some other random poll. But like Colorado, uh, when they had um, Coach Mack, they were number one in one poll, but number two in another. So they couldn't claim they were, they were undisputed national title champions, even though they were. So I think that that could be something that you could look forward to. But I, yeah, Jack, I don't, I don't, I don't like the idea of flipping it. Plus, there'd be so many logistical nightmares as far as basketball. Uh, baseball well, fine whatever everything else I, I, I think <laughs> and i think we all i think all of us especially down here south uh south midwest where you want to call us plains associate the fall and the leaves falling with awesome college football um but what what happens if there's no football and realistically looking at the university many of these teams unless you're kansas many of these schools unless you're kansas you fund the rest of your athletics for the most part through football. So what happens with money and what happens with scholarships if there's no football to be played in the 2021 season? Well, I remember, you know, talking about um, with the NCAA tournament, the NCAA and its television partners all had a rainy day fund and an insurance policy. What I would be interested to hear is how conferences and universities are prepared on that level as far as this is concerned. I feel like that would be a good question for Joe Castiglione the next time that is uh, he's in front of the media sometime this uh, off season. My question would be, and I guess this doesn't really concern football, but we all know how important football is to the state economy. And you could say this about probably all the the rest of the SEC, maybe a lot of the big 10 schools, a lot of the ACC schools, probably not the PAC 12 schools that much, but basically all the the football conferences that give a damn about it. I mean, because you've got to think all the bars on campus corner, all the restaurants, they're obviously cu- closed right now and they're hurting. Mm-hmm. But it's for the hope that, you know, by, you know, summertime, we can kind of go back to normal for a little bit, and maybe recruit, recuperate um, some funding. Maybe a lot of the service industry folks get back their jobs and they're able to rebound just a little bit to basically prepare for, OK, we're going to have to do this again in the fall. So if there's no football season. Because that's what the service industry and a lot of those other businesses uh, locally are probably looking forward to is, please, we need to have football because if we don't have football, we're not going to have 100,000 people storm into Norman and give us business. Like, I don't – not having football this year means more to me than just, like, oh, I don't get to have my entertaining yeah, favorite definitely. sport to watch yeah. and cheer for. Like, think about all the businesses in the state economy that could be negatively impacted for not just the rest of this year but for years after this. Like, they're going to be restaurants, guys, that you love. That by the time we're all able to go back outside like normal, they might not be there anymore. Yeah, I've been I've been coming to that to, to that realization uh, pretty recently. As far as like you know, my dad's a small business owner and in in OKC or by Westmore, and then uh, you know just going to Norman every day on Main Street um, and just by at lunch going to. A campus corner and just seeing so many small businesses and thinking wow like these guys like i don't know how they're surviving right now. like nothing and they're getting special things from the government but i don't know how well those things will pan out so like football is very important to not only other sports but to the to the local economy for these guys i mean i've been thinking about that a lot actually lately and i'm glad you brought that up 
Yeah, and then like even even restaurants with like the small business loans that they're getting, hopefully those um, those business owners are doing the right thing and allocating it out to their service staff. Yeah. But not everyone's probably going to do that. Um, but one thing that can kill, like just because I waited tables and I bartended, um, restaurant owners, bar bar owners, they're used to like high turnover rates, obviously with uh, the service industry. But one thing that can kill a restaurant or a bar is if you have to do it in mass. And if they have to basically start from scratch with a new staff, like training them and getting back, it's it's basically like you're just you've just opened up a new restaurant but people know about you. So they're going to come to you and then they're going to complain about the service. And then that's just negative uh, feedback that you're going to get. So there's just so much crap, you know, you can go down so many rabbit holes, but that that's how important know you football is not just to us, you know, as fans and like to the media that relies on sports to be able to cover them, but just everybody, like it affects everybody. And it, it's silly to say that, Oh, you football is that important, but it is. It is. Um, some good news from the, for the program, but the most recent couple of days is that, I mean, today, OU gets a grad transfer from, not grad transfer, excuse me. OU gets a transfer offensive lineman from UCLA. He's four-star kid when he was recruited, all American. He started all 24 games, his freshman and sophomore years, and has been really a solid mark on that UCLA team who has been garbage. Um, and then of course, not long ago before that Jordan Mukes from Choctaw, who has plenty of players on that team, Choctaw's building that community itself is kind of like another Mustang. They're coming out of like this, you know, backwoods country into being like, you know, having all this money and building all these facilities and having all these good players. They're going to have lots of good players from years to come, but Jordan Mukes from Choctaw commits to Oklahoma as a six, four defensive back. He's going to be 200 pounds by the time he comes out of high school. He's 192 right now. He's the three-star. People are hung up on stars right now. Um, by the time his tape gets out, his junior year tape, maybe not his senior year tape, we don't know yet. Uh, we're speculating, of course. But um, by the time everybody gets a look at him and just his frame, he'll likely be a four-star by the end of his, his recruiting uh, kind of cycle. Um, but – my thing is, and that's good. That's great news for OU, and we'll dive into that next podcast. But my thing is, what is COVID nineteen's impact on recruiting? I mean, Lincoln Riley, you have to imagine these dudes are in their office all day evaluating film and calling coaches and stuff like that, and they can't go see them in person, and you can't like you know you can't actually like you know because the NCAA is still gonna catch you for stupid violations as far as like you know making too many calls like Kelvin Sampson did, but. What is what is Watch. what is recruiting look like for COVID with COVID nineteen, and what's that cycle going to look like when you get to signing day? Well, for one thing, the rankings, as far as that's concerned, and the profile of certain athletes, it's really you can't really con- picture it changing that much over the next eight months because you're probably not going to have games in the fall, and you're not going to be able to congregate for all these camps and stuff like that. Right. I mean, you're not going to have the opening, obviously. So, and you're not going to have all these other camps. You're probably not going to have these all-star games. You're not going to have the training camps for these all-star games. I mean, it's, it's these guys who right now, you know, might be two-star recruits who are getting small offers. Josh Jacobs goes to Wyoming and not Alabama. Exactly, if this is Josh the case. Jacobs goes to Wyoming in that situation. Like, I mean, oh. you know, it's going to hurt a lot of these guys who haven't gotten that much uh, attention lately. I mean, Jordan Mukes, who you mentioned, if he doesn't have an Oklahoma offer, he doesn't really have an opportunity right. to uh, 
really boost himself between now and National Signing Day. And that's going to be the reality for, you know, hundreds of guys. I really wonder if this is going to positively impact, like, mid-tier and smaller schools. So, like, schools that, like, like high-profile players that happen to be playing football around, like, a Rutgers. And I'm not saying Rutgers is going to have, like, a great class or something like Mm -hmm. that, but... Um, you know, that's obviously a high population area and there's, you know, every once in a while they'll have some good talent, um, up in that area of the country, but because of all the uncertainty, I would just imagine there'd be a lot of sentiment of, uh, players and especially from their families and their parents. Um, you're not going across the country where we can't have an eye on you, like for, you know, your safety and your health and the health concern, Mm -hmm. you're staying close to home. So I'm really curious if this is going to positively impact smaller schools that might get some players that they would otherwise not have gotten in a regular, you know, uh, season cycle. And then also for OU, you know, verbal commitments are always kind of like, yeah, I mean, I'll believe it when I see it. Sometimes you can mm-hmm. always tell like the, like the Spencer Rattlers from the, you know, just the run of the mill. Yeah. I, I just committed, but then they go take official visits all the time. Um, you can always discern those differences, but, I'm wondering now with like these verbal commitments, how much more stressful like Lincoln Riley's job is of just maintaining it because you can say that now, but if there's no football season to be played this year, I mean, what does that do? We, we don't know is like the easy answer here, but like if Caleb Williams is committed to OU right now, I mean, how solid of a commitment is that if there is no season or if there's like a weird, weirded version of the 2020 season? Yeah. And, and I think that, the high profile athletes that are already out there, you know, the top 100, top 150, top 200, whatever, um, the, the top names, Caleb Williams and, and um, all these other guys, they're going to be names that honestly, if you're looking at bag men, like their prices are like legitimately, if, if you're a college football fan and you don't in, or just a person that follows college football and you really don't think there aren't bag men, if you really think that that's just a myth, you're fooling yourself. These players get paid, these high-profile caliber players get paid to go to different universities. And, like, you have to imagine that these very high-caliber players, their prices are, go skyrocketed because you have to look at there's not a lot of evaluation, especially for these guys. If they don't have senior tape, they don't have senior tape. So, like, what are you really evaluating them off of? Like, Jordan Mukes, you might evaluate him off of just one year of organized football since, like, peewee football. And just because you're evaluating him off his frame and athleticism and what he did in basketball, it, it's just unreal. So, like, you're going to have, like like you said, Brady, I think you're going to have guys stay closer to home. I think you're going to have uh, mid-tier guys have a little more success. But I think it's going to be just hell for guys to evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. And you'll see a lot of late offers where you'll see one, like, you'll see in Oklahoma offer some, uh, somebody late. And then next thing you know, all 30 other guys or all 10 other guys in the top 15 or whatever are now offering this play. They say, oh, Oklahoma offered them. They must be good because of something they've seen. So it's just going to be – it'll be a really interesting cycle. I'm really curious to see what's impact on recruiting is and the players that come into campus, and I have no idea what to expect, just like the rest of us. We're, we're taking this stuff day by day, literally finding new information out on Twitter from journals from Europe and Asia and whatever else – it's it's unreal, but um, no. What I, some... I, I already said it in our I already said it in our group chat, Kamiar. So I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself to you, but it would be so OU right now, especially in the post 2010 recruiting era, 
we so owe you right now to land like that game changing five star defensive tackle we've all been searching for. And then there's no football season. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to stay closer home and go to Tennessee or something like that. And like, God yeah. damn it. Yep. Yep. Gosh, <laughs> that's terrible. Yeah, you're right. Oh, man. Thinking about all those Texas kids that want to stay closer to Texas right now. <laughs> I don't I don't like that. Yeah, the happiest person on earth with no 2020 season is Tom Herman because this is his hot seat year. Yeah, you, either, you either win nine, ten plus games with a senior quarterback in Sam Ellinger or you gone. For real. But let's go to something a little more, a little more light. What are some positives, if any? What are some positives that you guys have gotten from your quarantines? I mean, like I'm in like what day 18 or 19, nearly three weeks. Um, some of you guys are like two weeks, but just like just this new lifestyle we're living currently. What are some positives that have come of this for you? It's a really good question. <laughs> it sounds, Jack, uh, have, you, have you become more acquainted with some of the uh, nice bottles in your cabinets? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, there a little you go. bit. I mean, I don't have much of a variety, though. I mean, it's mostly just Tito's, so. Yeah, nothing wrong. I mean, I'm Gotta just running consistent. out quicker. Yeah. No carbs. <laughs> Um, I'm actually, I'm reading a lot more. I've caught up on a lot of sleep because obviously this time of year I'd be getting ready for, mm -hmm. to cover the thunder in the postseason, which is around the same time of the year where I lose a lot of sleep. And I, I found that out pretty quick. Like in the first week that I went back home, I was like, wow, this feels nice to go to, go to sleep and then not have to wake up super early and uh, get like well rested. So there's that. I'm reading a lot more. I bought like a bunch of books, got some audio books I've been listening to. And then it's fun to kind of figure out ways to work out without like having a gym. Like my dad has like all these 40 pound bags of salt that yeah, I'll yeah. just like, yeah, that I'll just like, I'll just do squats with these or I'll do something. Um, so just being in like just ingenuity, I guess, like we're all fairly creative we just don't think so because we've relied on like technology or we've relied on just the routine of our lives but if you have to no matter what you are no matter what you think you are you can do a lot of things you just gotta be kind of put into a corner where you find out so it's fun to kind of find out what you're able to do when you don't have that many options yeah it's it's just like like i said i've been i've been like you said i've been reading uh books that i never was able to finish or just books that like uh, that I've always that's always been on my shelf that I just never got around to reading. Uh, been doing a lot of housework, uh, just getting jobs done that I just always put off since we bought the house because, you know, we bought the house and then it was summer and then the next thing you know it's uh, football season so I just never got around to doing it. And so just housework and then just other things just like like you said like catching up on sleep but also just for a lot of reflection honestly and a lot of appreciation just for like going outside on a really warm day and just appreciating like, like how like pleasant it is. You know, of course you're in your backyard, your front porch and like going for a run um, individually, well, just well, appreciating weather, easy, simple things. Well, hot weather just got canceled for tomorrow too. Yeah. So I'm, sorry. I'm really oh, upset God. about that. <laughs> sorry. No, kid. Not that, not that everybody's going to not be inside anyways, or most people might, might coerce people that aren't following the rules to go inside a little bit more, but Yeah. But it, I think it, I think it makes us appreciate the little things a little bit more um, about just like how casual life can be, like no airplanes and so, such a lack of cars on the road, 
and just like just enjoying the little things in life. So that's oh, I know, I know for damn sure whether it's a game that I'm covering or if it's a game that I'm going to as a fan. But the first sporting event I go to when they play the national anthem, I am crying my ass. I'm just crying my eyes out. <laughs> yeah, I think Absolutely. that's I think that's a fair thing to say. And I think everybody's going to be like, once once we get the full go ahead, like the full you're clear. I think like I think everybody's going to be like hugging and high fiving each other and just like being a lot more closer and warm. I'm really hoping it's not going to be like business as usual once we go back to our actual normal casual daily lives. But the We're first not. like massive fan get together is going to be something special. I think it, it will be, be. by the second special. or third game. It will be back to normal though, probably just because Americans have very short memories and are a little spoiled. But you know, I think for that first game, no matter who OU's playing, in that first game when it's back, it'll be one of the greatest environments in OU football history, yeah. I think. Yeah, we'll all be high-fiving each other with our dry-ass hands and like crack, <laughs> cracked skin. Bleeding hands. <laughs> Wash my hands 20 times yesterday, bro. <laughs> what? Blood everywhere. <laughs> yes. But yeah, that's that's something, that's something definitely to look forward to in the future, whether it's sometime this fall, sometime next spring, or, geez, sometime in 16 months from now. We don't know. New things coming out every day, but Brady, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Tell everybody where they can find your stuff. Okay, um, yeah, it's at, on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. You can read some of the stuff I do on the franchiseok.com, and then a lot of the other stuff is just going to be on Twitter. Like we're doing this, uh, Ryan Chapman and I are doing this uh, best Sooner since 1999 according to their jersey number so like we did 99 through 90 and that'll come out I think on tomorrow on Friday on Twitter um, so we're just going to do that all the way down to number one and then uh, yeah I mean I'm doing the Inside OU podcast still on, I'm releasing that on Saturday I just dropped the uh, Let's Watch edition that you, me, and Stephen Brown did a few months ago and that was the 2015 OUTCU game. It's like DVD commentary. Yeah, so it's good just, times. You just watch the full game on YouTube and listen to uh, the podcast in your ears, and it's just like director commentary. So I've got a bunch so of those. So it's like games. the football version of Mystery Science Theater 2000, or 3000, essentially? Yeah, mm-hmm. the, but the entire movie. Like, did they do the entire movie, or did they just do like Yeah, snippets? they do the entire movie. I'm okay. pretty sure. Oh, yeah. So yeah, they're like two-and-a-half-hour-long podcasts where you just watch the game and then sync it to our podcast. We're like, three, two, one, go. Hit play, and then you just listen to us. Like, basically, mainly me, just bitch about Bob Stoops, and then, you know, Tommy Arn and Steven, like, actually brought some expertise to the table. So, um, yeah, we'll put that out every Saturday. Um, For those that don't know, Brady has a Bob Stoops start board. (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) And uh, it got a lot of work after the people, because even though the man is not coaching the team, his fingerprints remain. Mm Mm-hmm as we all know. But yeah, that, but, that'll come out on yeah. Saturday and uh, come out for the foreseeable future on Saturday. So look forward to that. As always, I always appreciate you ha- on the podcast. Uh, Brady's going to be at my wedding when it does happen. Of course, we're going to have to push it back uh, because of the virus, because the initial plans were June. So we'll that, let you guys know when that happens. That's the next podcast where we debate on when the wedding should be. Like, It should yeah. be pushed back to spring 2021. Yeah, we should. We should debate <laughs> that. But go ahead and follow us on crimsonandcream.com. Brought to you guys by SB Nation. Follow Jack at CC Machine or J. Larry Shields. I'm at Comair or K. Marabi and CCM. Follow Alan Kenny. He actually dropped a podcast with Eddie Radosevich just a couple days ago. It's pretty fantastic. Abilene Homerism and 
We're on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Google Play. Give us a five-star ratings. Really appreciate it. And we'll check you guys later. Great stuff, guys. And thank you again.